This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found financial tech in the Guide Rock Capital Management Weekly Commentary for the week of April 2nd, 2013. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the Average Guide of TV studios here in Bellevue, Nebraska, and we post the show, including the written commentary, each week out at TheAverageGuy.tv. Financial Tech brings you the latest market commentary from the award-winning Andrew Hunt, CFP and president of Guide Rock Capital Management, located here in Omaha, Nebraska. If you'd like to receive a copy of the written commentary in advance, send Andrew an email. It's just Andrew underscore Hunt at GuideRockCapital.com and put subscribe in the subject line. If you have questions or comments and anything that we could read or answer on the show, you can send us an email. Just send that to me, podcast at theaverageguy.tv. And, of course, you can find us both on Twitter. I am at Jay Collison, and Andrew is at Andrew D. Hunt. Andrew, we started a new quarter, and last quarter is behind us. So what do you have for us this evening? Indeed, indeed. And, and yesterday, the day that the commentary was written, was April Fool's Day. So I hope all you listeners did not get pranked too hard. I did have a fake snake under my desk when I came in in the morning. Uh, some of the girls in our office thought it would be really funny to uh, to tease the guy who's afraid of snakes. So I'm kind of like Indiana Jones, I guess. Very nice. We we actually have live uh, live mouse up on the second floor. So that was oh. not April Fool's. We have one of those up there. <laughs> Take your fake snake, catch the live mouse, maybe so. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, so happy April Fool's. Uh, I'll tell you what wasn't a fake. April Fool's joke. Uh, the U.S. stock markets finished the quarter and the week and the month on a positive note. Um, and that's just fantastic. That's what we love to see. The uh, Federal Reserve's accommodative monetary policy and the strong profit growth from the private sector really helped provide the lift needed to get that S&P 500 index to an all-time record high. The Dow Jones also finished the week above its previous record. And, um, you know, ultimately what we saw was the S&P 500 was up about 10%. The Dow was up about 11.3%. And the NASDAQ, which tracks high-tech stocks, was up about 8.2%. So well, just a fantastic first quarter. Great way to, to, to really kicked off the new year. Unfortunately, it was actually a pretty choppy week, though. Um, the overall performance was great, but the, there was a lot going on. There were some concerns about Cyprus and this Eurozone debt crisis that continues to linger um, from last year, for those of you who remember all the craziness that was going on with that. Um, but there were some positive reports um, from the uh, Commerce Department uh, on uh, durable goods, which is always an interesting report, and then the Home Price Index from the uh, S&P Case-Shiller Index um, that actually came out with the largest yearly increase in home prices since summer of 2006, uh, which was great. And that, that report really kind of overshadowed the fact that gross domestic product growth rate for the entire country um, is really pretty sluggish. It remains sluggish at about 0.4% annually. Um, it's a revised upward movement, but you know, still not great as compared to what we're used to. And uh, we'd like to see that thing get going a little bit faster, uh, so that we can really get out of this re uh, out of this uh, into rec past recovery and onto the new, bigger and greater things that that are out there for us. Um, 
the U.S. Treasury market generally uh, moved up from this Eurozone crisis. Uh, it's benefited from all the, the craziness going on over there. The Cyprus bank bailout and Italy's failure to form a government uh, really pushed rates lower last week, and the U.S. continues to be perceived as relatively safe. So uh, even though you hear a lot of bad press out there, the U.S. Uh, treasuries are still the safe place to be. Um, so yeah, and then finally we saw gold finish the quarter down by more than 5%. Um, so just further proof that uh, Eurozone fears and the debt issues over there have had a, uh, you know, kind of, even though it's a positive effect on gold prices, um, the, the, the gold is still kind of lagging from where we saw its all-time high in the past. So gold's still down. So all this comes to question, you know, I mentioned gross domestic product. As we switch gears here a little bit, um, how fast should the United States economy be growing? Um, if, if gross domestic product is lagging, what should we expect? Well, according to The Economist, which is a fantastic publication, um, if you want to go read something that will stretch your mind, I recommend The Economist. Um, quote, in the three years since the end of the recession in 2009, growth averaged 2.2%, barely half of the 4.2% average of the seven previous recoveries, end quote. So this begs the question, how fast should we be growing? Well, economists, academics, and policymakers have been trying to figure this out forever. And um, there's been lots of different economic theory put forward. And the noted Milton Friedman in 1964 came up with the plucking model which uh, basically postulates that the business cycle acts like a string attached to the board, where the board represents the ceiling of maximum feasible output. And once in a while, the string is plucked down by recession and then springs back, with the idea that the depth of a recession will be mirrored by the strength of recovery that follows. So at first blush, when we're looking at this most recent Great re Recession, um, it doesn't really apply the plucking model. It, it looks like it's broken. Um, it, you know, the Great Recession was the deepest downturn since World War II, as we're all very familiar with. It's, it, was, it was ugly. It was, it was deep. Um, and frankly, we haven't snapped back since. But there's been three really great articles recently that kind of, again, stretch our mind a little bit on, uh, on this concept. The first one is titled Productivity and Potential Output Before during and after the Great Recession. It's a working paper from the San Francisco Fed, um, and it found that the U.S. was already slowing in the mid-2000s, although it was largely unrecognized before the recession, which is interesting. A second paper titled, What Accounts for the Slow, um, excuse me, What Accounts for the Slow Growth of the, recovery of the Economy After the Recession, uh, which is a congressional budget study, determined that two-thirds of the difference between America's current growth rate and the, after, and the average growth rate after the previous recoveries is due to long-term trends, including, now get this, including demographic changes. That's really interesting. I'm going to say that again. America's current growth rate and average growth after the previous recovery is due to long-term trends, including demographics. That's pretty interesting. The other one-third is credited to low demand for goods and services. And finally, the last paper, Disentangling the Channels of the 2007 to 2009 Recessions by James Stock of Harvard and Mark Watson of Princeton, found slower growth in the U.S. is largely a result of demographic trends such as limited labor supply as 
baby boomers have begun to retire and the number of women joining the workforce has leveled off. So that's really interesting, guys. Considering all these reports together, it seems to indicate that the U.S. economic growth began slowing before the recession. And unless these demographic changes, such as women slowing down entering the workforce, baby boomers uh, buying less and, and starting to retire, unless those demographic trends shift, our country may, be, may continue to experience slower growth. Uh, so that's pretty captivating stuff to think about. Chew on that, marinate on it. And as you think about it, guys, we'd love to hear your opinions. So shoot us an email, and maybe we'll talk about it on the air. So here's our quote for the week uh, from my childhood favorite athlete, and athlete, uh, you know, notable athlete for many, Michael Jordan. He says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games, 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I've missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. From Michael Jordan. Yeah, you got to be in the game, don't you? Love that. Um, Andrew, let me ask you a quick question on as you talk about the demographic changes. Uh, I've been reading some that this generation behind you uh, is is a little more thrifty, a little more um, social conscious. And a little, a little more moderate in their spending. Not quite the, um, not quite the bingers that my generation has been. Uh, the the in the in the baby boomers before that, maybe who, um, when they came into money, uh, purchased big dollar items. That this generation is kind of content to not do that. Do you, one? Do you have you seen those trends as well? And two, how does that play out in the long term as we as we look about a generation coming behind us that will be the working force? when my generation retires. Yeah, you bring up a, a total hot-button topic for me, Jim, um, that we could talk about for an entire one-hour podcast if we wanted to. But I'll summarize like this. Uh, if you think about the generation, the golden generation that survived World War II and the Great Depression that preceded it, um, we saw really heavy-duty thrift in those eras. We also saw the advent of new technology, such as Maytag washer and dryer, uh, and so on and so forth, that gave opportunity to spend um, like no one else. And so we kind of have this, and we didn't see that play out for a long time. Um, and, you know, it takes periods and periods and periods of time to be able to examine really what those effects are, the ind induction of thrift plus the ability to spend on new technologies. And so I think it's too soon to tell about the next generation. Anytime you go through a severe downshock like that generation has experienced, watching their folks in some cases lose everything, um, you know, that really impacts you to your core and so it, it, it forces fundamental shifts Dave Ramsey one of my favorite personal finance bloggers I don't agree with everything he says um, I don't agree with everything he uh, talks about on his radio show but he's got some really great quotes and one of the things he says is until the pain of change exceeds the pain of staying the same you will never change and Jim what I think we've seen is this generation behind me experience pain of change that has exceeded pain of staying the same. And so they may make the choice to be more thrifty and to do the things that their parents didn't do. Uh, it's too soon to tell, but I think it's going to be really captivating to watch and a little scary because with these demographic switches, um, you know, fewer people working, uh, women entering the workforce, uh, you know, fewer population growth in general, um, you know, we could see some real slowdown, and you got to remember that our economy is based on consumption. It's based on buying, and 
uh, people who are becoming more thrifty, not having as many kids, and uh, frankly aren't willing to work the long hours that their parents were to earn the bigger incomes to spend more money. Um, uh, man, it makes for a captivating scenario to watch, and I'm excited to, to watch it with you. You know, I just spent a week in, in Germany, and one of the things I walked away from, you know, I always recommend everybody gets an opportunity to see another culture in some way, and the American culture is so big in all the things we do, and, and you know, even as I was over there traveling to get a cup of coffee, you know, the largest coffee I could get, you know, it's about that big, right? They don't, they just don't supersize um, like we do here, and, and it was, in, in other ways, you know, they, they go overboard in other ways. But but one of the things I, I or one of the lessons I kept ringing through my through my mind as I was there is this idea of moderation and uh, and we I'm afraid we're a culture a little bit based on overdoing it at times and we we look for all those record you know the last quarter has been great uh, we've looked for high uh, returns on that but the some moderate returns of quarter over quarter would be nice uh, in our economy so. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. I think we're switching to a more moderate. I think these this, these generations behind me are going to learn a little bit more in moderation, or at least I hope so. I think that's a little bit more healthy. So, Andrew, thanks for some great commentary this week. And uh, I will remind folks that if you're new to podcasting and you need an easy way to listen to this show, and actually Ronnie Miller, the president of our credit union, uh, caught me this week and said he was doing this. You can catch uh, the show right there on Stitcher. Just go out to Stitcher.com. It's available in any browser as well both as both on your Android or iPhone uh, platforms. It's a great way to listen to your podcast each week, uh, both at home and on the road. This show and all the past shows are on Stitcher. Stitcher.com. Search financial tech, and that's what Ronnie told me he did. He searched financial tech and found the podcast. It's education for years. We also have a long play tech format that or tech uh, podcast that we do. Long play, I mean... We go for an hour or more in that. This is just a short podcast here. If you search home tech in Stitcher, you'll get that as well. Myself and about 14 other tech guys get on every week. And if you'd like to try that, give that a shot. Just search home tech. Both podcasts on Stitcher. Love to hear your feedback on that if that's working for you. Be sure to visit Guide Rock Capital as well. That's just Guide Rock Capital, all one word, guiderockcapital.com. Follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew D. Hunt and get all the show notes for this show. We'll post them along with the show here out at the Average Guy. TV. Now, Andrew and I say thanks for listening, and we'll catch up to you next week. Remember, be smart about your investing. Good night, everybody. GuideRock Capital Management, Inc., or GuideRock, is a registered investment advisor that is registered with the state of Nebraska and located in Omaha, Nebraska. GuideRock and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration requirements imposed upon investment advisors in the states in which they maintain clients. GuideRock may only transact business in those states in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. Important information describing GuideRock's business operations, services, and fees can be viewed on the SEC's website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. GuideRock will provide Form ADV Part 2, which serves as the firm's disclosure document to all clients. Copies of Form ADV Part 2 are also available to interested parties upon request. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No current or prospective clients should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product made reference to directly or indirectly on this video, website, or indirectly via hyperlink or any affiliated third-party website will be profitable or equal to past performance levels.